Welcome to Splainin', a podcast where two guys explain things to each other that they should know, but they don't. I'm Evan Smith. And I'm Jeff Sims. Welcome, Evan, to Jeff. episode five, baby! Oh, so you thought maybe after Catherine bringing it up again in the last episode, I thought maybe you'd move forward. No, all it did was remind me <laughs> that I should be doing it more consistently and more uh, exaggerated. <laughs> well, you didn't do it last time. I was like... It's ended. No. He's moved forward. No, no, definitely not. I've, <laughs> I've but regressed. Oh, well, whatever. In more ways than one. But thank you. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I missed you. I shouldn't have left you. I missed us. But I don't know mean step two. Step two. Step, 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 step. No. I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. Good. Well done. <laughs> Welcome uh, to grade six. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about this episode. So am I. It's been a little while. When the girls were, were recording um, and we did our little pep talk, I was like, I want to do this. I, yeah, I, I really I, did. I missed it. We went upstairs and we watched Letterkenny. We watched Letterkenny <laughs> and we did. We had our own fun. Yeah. And it was good. It was great. I'm, I'm e- a fan now. Even though you strongly said you didn't want to watch it ever. You were just too, like, enthusiastic. To get my friend to watch something funny with me. Well, no. Well, no. no. I don't know. I don't know. You were, you were quoting it, and without me having the context, your quoting it was annoying. Oh. But now that I have the context, I'm like, oh, no, that was funny. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, just the few sayings that you were doing, I was just like, mm, Sure. I don't like this. I don't, I don't want this show to... I don't want Jeff to be consumed. <laughs> just be a living caricature of Letterkenny. No. But, but we do want Jeff to get hired mm-hmm. by Letterkenny. We do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if the casting directors happen to be listening, yeah. um, info.splainin at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what you want to hear yeah. about. <laughs> uh, uh, All right. I have a correction. Please. This is from episode three because... Even though it feels like dated now, we do have to correct there. Do you know what we missed? What? We missed a big opportunity to recycle the nine episodes of Star Wars into the titles when we're talking about them. We did. That's a big miss. Because you were like, episode three, I was like, Revenge of the Sith. And I was like, oh, right. I forgot. We should have recycled it. Oh, yeah. Well, Jeff. Anyways, welcome to the we Empire Strikes Back. back. <laughs> <laughs> we can go edit them all back in. Yeah. That's uh, worth it. Um, so I have a correction Go ahead. Uh, from episode three. It's from Peter Andrew. I was at his house the other day. And uh, he's like, uh, yeah, Jeff's pronunciation of the word <laughs> abolitionists. What did I say? Abolitionist? No, you said, no, sorry. You said it's, it actually is abolitionist. No, wait. Abolition. Ab- abolitionist. Abolitionist. You said abolitionist. If I said abolitionist, you did. That's funny. More than once. But Peter was like, A, it's wrong. B, it's the first time I ever understood what it meant. Abolish is the is, is the, the root. root of it. But he never got that when it was abolition. Yeah. Right? So what was it for it took you saying abolitionist <laughs> yeah. for him to go, Oh yeah, abolish. Uh-huh. Anyway, so there you go. So he I'm was glad like, my idiocy has yeah. <laughs> He was a little bit grateful of it. And then he was another Here's another word I've really been looking forward to. Oh, can't wait. Same episode. You're talking about Abraham Lincoln. Why is it me? And you said... Because you'll see why. Because you said he was born in Hodge, Hodge, Hodgkinville. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I'm about to go into? No, I don't. You repeat it so many times because you say it and I, you sort of struggle. So I'm like, 
I'm sorry, can you say that again? And then you repeat it. Every time you repeat it, you change the way that you said it. <laughs> Finally, I ask you to spell it. And you do. You say H-O-D-G-E-N. And then you say Hodgkin. Hodgkin? Yes. Not Hodgkin? No, no, no. You spell it. Here's the clip. Oh, you got I've it. I've got it queued up. So Abraham Lincoln was born in Sinking Springs Farm near Hodgdenville, Kentucky. So that's what was it called? Hodgkinville. Hodgkin. Hodgkinville. Okay. H O D G E N Hodgkin. Yep. Hodgkinville. This is not Kennedy. On February the twelfth, Hodgkin. Hodgkin. No, Hodgkin. No, Thomas and no, no, but Where's it's the, the you're it's getting. Hodgkin. There's no T. There's no K. Hodgkin. No. You have to pronounce the it's D. Hodgen. Yep. H-O-D-G-E-N. Hodgen. Hodgen. Like a hodge. Like a lodge. Mm. Hodgen. There's no K. You can't say Hodgkin. Hold on. Because you're I pronouncing don't... the D and the G, and then you're also adding another syllable. So Hodge is correct. Hodgen. It's Hodgenville? Yeah. H-O-D-G-E-N-V-I-L-L-E? Correct. How could you possibly say Hodgkin? I don't know. Because I'm stupid, obviously. But why do you think it's right? Why, why are you looking up how to pronounce it? Yes. <laughs> it's Hodgin. <laughs> it's not that hard. We'll see. Hodginville. <laughs> <laughs> the disdain in her voice. <sighs> Hodginville. Do, do, do. Hodginville. <laughs> Okay, we're going to make the audio of that real nice and crisp. Oh, that was fantastic. I'm going to take that clip and put it right in there. I think you have to. Um, so, yeah, those are a couple of corrections that I had on your pronunciation of things. Well, thanks again, uh, both Peter, Andrew, and Evan, for <laughs> for that. I feel like all of my topics, even though Abraham Lincoln doesn't necessarily fall into the category, have big words that I can't pronounce. I have the same way. Yeah, we could easily do a montage. You just linger longer, like you won't move Rude. forward. Whereas I'll just be like, Hodgkin, Hodgmills, and you're just like, okay, sure, yeah, yeah, all right. Maybe because I'm not an asshole and go circle back. And it was very funny while I listened. It is very funny. I will give you that. Yeah. And uh, actually, so speaking of Peter Andrew, I actually saw him at the gym today. Did you? I did. I was uh, working out on one side. Catherine's on the other. And this girl walked in front of me and like sat down to the thing. I was like. My God, that looks just like Laura. And it was. And well, at the time I was like, nah, probably not. It's like super early. Right. And I was like, just doing my own thing, yeah. you know, because the person was wearing a mask. Right. Then Catherine texted me and said, man, there's some guy walking around here looking just like Peter Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, what a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Went over and started talking to him. And uh, and, and yeah, he, he they had the exact same interaction. That's amazing. I think there's a guy named like, guy named Jeff. I think this guy yeah. looks like Jeff. <laughs> there's a guy named Jeff at this gym. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I was talking to him. It was good to see him. I haven't seen him in a while. Yes. Yeah. Um, He's up to some busy stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Is so, it uh, East East Coast Top Thirty or yeah, something? Yeah. Exactly. So that's yeah. what I was gonna quickly chat about for a second because. He's right back into all of his recording like he's been. Yeah. Um, but right now they have a little contest on the go, the East Coast Top 30 on CIOE 97.5, uh, where you get to vote what songs you want to be put into that Top 30 and be played all the time. Nice. Yeah, so go on uh, 97.5 K-Rock's website and find that, and make sure you vote for Pete. Uh, he has a lot of great songs. I actually have a playlist on my phone. 
do you? That's just for him. It, it just has all what's the songs. This song? in it. That boy or something? That boy, yeah. That boy. So that's Maybe. the song you're voting for. Yeah. Um, fun. Yeah, it's I very, love it. very fun. Um, I also have a singular correction from the girls episode. Mm, yes. And unfortunately, it's a correction. It's a correction that's something Tiffany said, but it's sort of a correction of me in a way. It sort of beats me down a little bit. On a, she was unintentional about it. So Catherine and Tiffany were talking about um, the music that is always happening in the podcast. Like the oh, little, yes, yes, the yes. little um, music when we go for a break or like recently the music that's underneath the ads. Yeah. Um, and Tiffany said, yeah, Evan does all that. And Catherine was like, oh my God, I had no idea that Evan writes all that and like records it. And she's like, yeah, every single thing you've ever heard of the podcast, Evan has created. Yep. Which is true. With the exception of the music in the background of the ad in the episode they were talking about. That you literally hear about five minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because they were talking about it because they were about to go to the ad. Yeah. Anyway, that piano music is just a sample from GarageBand 2012. Yeah. Everything else I've written... Came from GarageBand 2013. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that one... uh, And it's so funny because it's literally just jazz piano. So it's like most likely that was me and the other stuff was samples. Yep. Nope. Wrote wrote the rest, recorded the rest. That piano straight up solo was not me. For instance, why let the truth get in the way of a good story? Why not? Yeah. I just didn't want to take credit unless like the guy who writes the samples for GarageBand is listening. Which is probable. I mean, he's got nothing to do. No, obviously not. Because they're all he's, done he's now. He's just he sitting his on work. his royalty since yeah. 2012. <laughs> yeah, he's got his work done. <laughs> <laughs> he's getting five cents for every, uh, strain, every, every time somebody listens to this episode. <laughs> or last episode. So oh, that's that. funny. Uh, I do also have one other small correction from the previous episode yes. with the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, Girls. Coniferous. Oh, yeah. I heard this, too. And I was delighted. <laughs> um, That's a tree, right? Not a cloud. Not a cloud, honey. You were thinking maybe cumulus. Or cumulonimbus. Curonim- curionimbus. Even. Or the nimbostratus. Who's to say? Who is to say? But let me tell you, you're not putting a nimbostratus up for Christmas. No. no. No, you're definitely not. Nor are you looking up in the sky and seeing a coniferous. If you are. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was it. delighted. It made me go a little bit like because we have those things all the time. Hence, Jeff in primary colors. It, yeah, let's let's circle back on that one. But um, which I I explained to Harrison primary colors yesterday, Good. and I was like, hmm, if only someone had done this with Jeff when he was this age. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I was delighted. I was just like, you know what? Now we've got a thing. Now we have a thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have a thing. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall though, I gotta say, great episode. I really it enjoyed was it. Delightful. It was an amazing way to kick off our guest series. Yeah, I was I was mildly upset because of how good it was on the first take. Yeah, like our first episode, which maybe we'll <laughs> you'll never hear. It. It's in the vault. Yeah, it's never going anywhere. No, no. Um, maybe sometime for like a no, no, no. You're not going here. It's never going anywhere. No. Um. So, um, are you ready? I am ready. Shall we begin? Please do. Well, Jeff, this week I'm talking about the War of 1812. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a bit of a banger. I can't wait. And although uh, it does, the title does suggest to me that the war only lasted for a year. Yeah. It actually lasted from 1812 to 1814. Oh, so it indeed but- lasted... Two years. Yes, but the War of 1812 to 1814 doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, as well. it doesn't. No. no. <laughs> um, anyway, it just started then. Um, I well, think the I... war was 1812 <laughs> to 14. <laughs> 
Nice. Yeah. Uh, so this came up when we were researching, I think, the Boston Tea Party. The War of 1812 came up. Yes. And I was like, hold on. There was a war between Canada and the States. Yeah, I didn't know that. And the answer is, kind of. Oh, which is why <laughs> I kind of knew it. Right. Mm. So quick backstory. As we all now know from Hamilton, the United States wanted their independence from the British. I mean, they taxed them relentlessly. Mm. And the whole time, King George turns around and runs a spending spree. He was never going to set his descendants free. So in fact, there was a revolution in that century. And the century we're referring to is the 1700s. Hmm. So the American Revolution occurs. Yep. Uh, I'm not going to get anything for that. No applause. No I, I'm smiling <laughs> from ear to ear, just enjoying it. Uh, so thank you so much. So the American Revolution occurs. The Revol- Revolutionary War ends in 1783. The British surrender Yorktown in 17. Um, which is two years earlier than 1783 but I guess it took a while for like word to get around that this world got around they said this war is over man yeah it took a while because they were still fighting battles yeah can you imagine being like the guy in Boston when the war ended on the other side and like a month later you die and you're like no 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 the war's been over for a year yeah brutal well, I mean, they couldn't have told him that, presumably. <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's like, Imagine that. Oh, no. That's not even the biggest problem. Yeah. Oh, one, no, you're I'm dead. dead. <laughs> but yeah, just to die for no reason. The war was over. No one told you. Yeah. Brutal. Anyway, with the help of France, the 13 colonies win their independence from Great Britain. So when I said it was a war between Canada and the States, the part of that which is true, well, not true, none of it is false, but um, is that all the battles were happening on American-Canadian soil. But technically, because Canada was a colony at the time, uh, um, they had a major role in the fighting. But they were just a colony. So basically, it was was, the United States and Great Britain. I understand. But the war was Canada and the States in terms of land. And it was still Canada. Land and sea. Um, So it's less than 30 years after the Revolutionary War. And the U.S., for the first time in history, declares war on a foreign country. Why? I actually had that written down, Jeff. Why? Why? Question mark? Indeed. I had a question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Oh. An exclamation point sandwich, if you will. Uh, Well. Tasty. Since, thank you, since the 1790s, Great Britain had been at war with France, uh, which I can't go into all of that because there are a million other topics in there. Yep. Uh, But essentially, King Louis XVI, 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 is executed. The French see what the states were doing. They want their independence as well. Napoleon Bonaparte rises up as the leader of the French Revolution. Well, you've heard of Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> he came to Newfoundland with all of his men. Yeah. He found the weather very cold. So, off to France he went again. Um, eventually, he becomes Emperor of France and starts the French Revolutionary Wars. Sacre bleu! Sometime. Did you have that written in? Uh, no, I just happened. That's my fr- go-to French expression. Boo, I hope you had that written in. I did. I thought you were going to read me and have it written in. I, I, I spelled it S-A-C-R-E. Sacre? Don't look at me. I don't even know what it means. Hodgkinsville. <laughs> sometimes referred to as the Napoleonic Wars, which I would like you to explain to me Napoleon sometime. Putting it out there now. Bonaparte? Yeah. Dynamite? Yeah. Yeah, Bonaparte. Yeah. Um, but I want to know who he was, what happened. Like, I like the whole thing. Anyway, sure. 
Um, I and I want you to do it because I never want to do another history topic <laughs> ever again. <laughs> they just take so long. Yeah. Oh my lord! Mm-hmm. It's like you and I having a conversation. Conversation. It's like main theme, tangent, 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 tangent. What were we talking about again? Tangent, tangent, tangent. And I just keep clicking the tangents. Like, oh wait, what? Who are they though? And that takes me to like President Lincoln the Third's presidency, and they're like, oh, he was a president. And I'm like, yeah. I can't follow this. Nope. Anyway, you need to do that. Sure. Um, the British are involved in this huge war with the French going on for a decade. It's long. It's costly. In 1806, Napoleon orders all European ports under French control closed to British ships. Good. And any neutral ship or French ship caught going to a British port would be seized. 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 By doing this, he successfully closed every market in the French Empire to British goods. He even persuaded Russia, Prussia, and Austria to join him. Imagine that being on the, I almost said telephone, but there probably weren't a lot of telephones then. I wouldn't think so. Trying to, like, say, <laughs> who are you with? Prussia. Do you mean Prussia? No, by Russia. Do you mean Prussia? No, pro-Russia. You're pro-Russia, you say? Yes. No. Anti-Russia, pro-Russia. Prussia. But, I mean, how hard is it? To persuade Russia to like join a war, like guys, we're gonna start a war. You want in? They're like, okay. oh, da. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they say. Well, yes. The old one hasn't ended. Um, the British respond to Napoleon's power move and say, "Great man, wait, great man. Here's what we're gonna do. How about all neutral ships need a license before they can sail to Europe at all?" <laughs> Foreign Secretary George Canning wrote. We have now what we had once before, and once only in 1800, a maritime war in our power, unfettered by any considerations of whom we may annoy or whom we may offend, Mm. and we have determination to carry it through. And because they operated the Royal Navy, they they were considered the rulers of the sea, the British. They were just like, on a global scale, everybody's like, don't mess with the British on the water. On the land, maybe. Mm -hmm. Don't go in the water against the British. (gasps) No. It was made quite clear when Canning said this about whom they offend and whom they annoy. It was the Americans who were mostly annoyed and offended. They're struggling because they're caught in the middle. And also, they're sort of in an awkward breakup phase with the British. <laughs> and their current girlfriend, France, just cut its head off and replaced it with an emperor. Oh, great. And the Americans are like, I'm not sure I'm into that. Yep. Right? They're just they're like too soon into the relationship. Yeah, you've changed, man. Yeah. Um, you've changed, garçon. On top of this, the British start searching American ships and confiscating contraband, which they deem to be anything they consider illegal. And what does that mean? Like, so they no, just no, go. No. They start going onto American ships, and they're like, "That's illegal. We're taking it." No. Ooh, cinnamon buns. That's that's uh, what I mean. They're illegal. What did they say for like? What was illegal? They could. They were just naming things. Like they just would, on purpose. They'd be so like, like if they were like, "We want some of the things that you have," they'll be like, "Well, that's actually illegal. The amount you have it in, or whatever," and they would seize it. How annoying. I know. Yeah, they were getting very annoyed by this, as you can imagine. Fama place, fama place, fama, fama, fama place, fama place, fama place, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So also a bunch of British who were in the Navy and didn't want to be fled to America. So the British start trying to round them up and make them come back. Of course. And some captains even just see some of the Americans on the ships and like, you're coming with us to the British Navy. And they're like, I'm not even British. Like, we don't care. You're coming. Sucks to suck. And they just take them. Of course they did. Which is kind of kidnap. Yeah, no, no, like, no. It's, I don't know what it, they were thinking. It's very kidnap. It's like, you're looking for Stephen James? What's your name? Jane Stevens. Ah, eh, close enough. You're in the Royal Navy now. <laughs> Wait, why are they Scottish? I don't know. I don't know. 
1810, Napoleon hints that he'll stop the trade restrictions for the U.S., and so President James Madison immediately blocks all trade with Britain, which infuriates the British. So he's like, whichever one opens up to us, I'm going to shun the other one. In other instigation of the war was that the Americans were trying to expand westward, and the British weren't having it. So the British start supporting the native tribes living in the area, giving them food, guns, ammunition, to fight the American settlers who were moving westward to try and colonize native land. Huh. Which I imagine was shocking when you're used to fighting the Indians all this time with their bow and arrows and like rocks on a rope. Yeah. And all of a sudden they pop up with a twenty-two. <laughs> you're like, bye. Twenty-two and a cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Little bowler hat. Yeah. You're like, bye. He was a good shot when he was like slinging deer meat at me. Yeah. Now he's got a twenty-two. So... I think slinging deer meat. Um, apparently, Thomas Jefferson made it no secret that he wanted America to consist of all of North America. Yeah. In a letter Jefferson wrote to a friend, and I quote, The acquisition of Canada this year, as far as the neighborhood of Quebec, will be a mere matter of marching mm. and will give us experience for the attack on Halifax the next year and the expulsion of England from the American continent. If they had done that, we would all be American right now. Ooh. Uh, the British eventually acknowledged the whining, as they call it, of the Americans, and Navy ships were ordered to stop doing anything that would offend the Americans. But still, President Madison declares war on June 18th, and the British were like, okay, once he hears that we stop being mean, like, he'll take that back. He did not. He was like, no takes his backs, he's British. Mm-hmm. We're going to war now over the 10,000 men you've taken into the Navy against their will. There's a lot of men in the Navy. 10,000. Yep. At this point, one would think, oh shit, the British have a big army. What is going to go down? Conveniently for the Americans, though, literally six days later, Napoleon and his Grande Armée of 500,000, the biggest European army ever up to that point, invade Russia. Why? Just to make sure that Tsar Alexander I would recommit to Napoleon's embargo on trade against the British. So he was like, I don't know, like I think I kind of want to trade with the British again. They were like, no, no, no. Me and 500,000 of my friends think you're going to not trade with the British. And he's like, do you mean the U.S.? No, the British. The French are, are happy with the U.S. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Just in that entire time, I thought you said the English invaded Russia. No, the French. the French. Napoleon and his 500,000 Yes, okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. So then, um, yeah, Napoleon just like assembles the largest army ever, marches into Russia. It's like, we good? And they're like, oh, da! Yeah, Oh, dang. Um, so, but again, when I was thinking about this, I was like, I wonder if anybody checked. Like, was it a 500,000 man army? Mm. Like, no one's counting. So if he's like, yeah, I got 500,000 back there, you can't see them because they're like really far back. Yeah. But like, were there just like deer with like helmets on their heads? Yeah. Or something? I got a girlfriend. Like, she lives in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, head, helmet on the head, helmet on the butt. And they're like, that comes for two. <laughs> and like, they just like, one guy like has a broom in each hand. It's like, oh, sacre bleu, toi. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, you get three guys doing that with two mop, one mop in each hand. Yeah. 300 of them make a thousand. Yeah. Either, <laughs> either that they'll have a clean floor. <laughs> one or the other. Cleanest battlefields you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, consequently, because of this, the French actually couldn't spare many men to head over to North America to deal with the Americans being tits. Oh. They had to concentrate on the war in Europe. Yep. And this giant army of... Um, Mickey Mouse from the uh, Fantasia with the buckets. <laughs> <laughs> well done. 
So all they send is two battalions and nine frigates. And they hand command over to Admiral Sir John Borlier's Warren. Very French name for an English guy. Mm. Ensign Warren. Borlies. Um, who is basically told to explore any option that will avoid actually fighting. They say there are four sides to this war. And when I say they, I mean Amanda Foreman, award-winning author, who wrote an article in the Smithsonian Magazine that I found incredibly helpful and took a lot of information from. Cool. Um, so thank you, Amanda Foreman. Thank you, Amanda Foreman. And also, I wonder if she's related to George. <laughs> uh, but also when I say they I mean the four sides the Americans the British the Canadians and the Native Americans they were heavily involved once England started supplying them heavily involved interesting so from the American perspective some saw the war of 1812 as a second revolutionary war to free themselves from the British once and for all and sort of hypocritically conquer all of North America they were divided on this though there were a couple new congressmen that year termed as the Warhawks. Ooh, I like that. Henry Clay and John C. Calhoun had tried everything... Calhoun! Calhoun! They tried everything they could do to push Madison to war, and eventually they convinced the majority of Congress to vote for it. Um, But only just. The House and the Senate were actually very divided on this. So why were the Warhawks jonesing for war? Well, the West and the South supported the war because they were all about their expansion agenda. So there's a war they can keep expanding land. Like Jefferson, they wanted the native land and to take over Canada. But the Federalists, we're talking New England, East Coast, relied heavily on trade with the British because they're right on the Atlantic Ocean. Yep. So they're like, no, this is bad for us. Let's not go to war with the British. Exactly. The British were quite otherwise occupied um, on their take of the war. The British history, um, in British history, the War of 1812 is squished in here and there in textbooks between the great battles of the Napoleonic Wars. Because mm-hmm. it happened at the same time. Yep. Roughly 20,000 people died in the fighting of World, uh, War of 1812, which is all sides. Like, total. Total. Compared with the 3.5 million who died in the Napoleonic Wars. Wow. So to give that some context in terms of numbers, less important to them. A little bit. Um, so as annoying as it was, the British had bigger fish to fry. Uh, so much so that historians joke about how little significance it now plays. And I don't think historians joke that much. No, so I can't imagine. It must they say do. something that they do. Um, Canadian historian William Kingsford commented The events of the War of 1812 have not been forgotten in England, for they have never been known there. <laughs> <laughs> While another Aww. remarked An episode in history that makes everybody happy because everybody interprets it differently. The English are happiest of all because they don't even know what happened. <laughs> Which I bet cracked up at those historian parodies. I bet they the did. The crowd were like, did you hear what Kingsford said? <laughs> He's so droll. Oh, oh Summersby. <laughs> Summersby, yes. England. <laughs> if you ask the Canadians about the war, it is a defining moment in our history. Well, that was really important there, eh? It is really important there, eh? We didn't have much history before this, No, eh? no. Uh, Banding the country or colony at the time together, they relied heavily on civilian soldiers who were responsible for many of the great victories of the war. Ah, you did good, kid. So, uh, for the First Nations allies, it goes pretty much how you would expect. They are 10 out of 10. They are an incredibly significant help. They lose many men and are pretty much forgotten about by the British and Canadian allies as soon as the war is over. Makes sense. And of course, as we know, the American expansion does eventually happen. They take all of the West right to the Pacific. Um, also, precursor, I inter- the articles I were reading were interchanging First Nations, Indigenous, and Indian. Yeah. 
But that's not right, right? Like, I don't think we say Indian anymore. No, we, we shouldn't. It wasn't that old of an article, but I was like, one of the articles was actually like, the term Indian is used because of the historical significance at the time, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's the same way it's using though. the N word talking around the 19. Yeah. Well, actually, sorry. Well, I mean, unfortunately, yes, the 19 blanks. But yes. Talking more specifically during slavery, like that's yeah. what they were called. Yes. Like historically, which is terrible. But you wouldn't be like, let's say a thing because you're talking about the no. history of it. No. Um, and I'll, but anyway, so I'm I'm unclear. I think I interchange as well, but I just want to say, like, I if it's racist, it's racist, and ignorance isn't isn't an excuse. But I literally couldn't find whether Indian is incorrect or not. So I did use it when they used it. But if it's wrong, someone tell me. Yep. I'd love to hear. Yep. Um, education is key. So the war begins. Once Madison... Wait, 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 wait. What's happened all before this? This is the, pre- little, the precursor to the war. Oh. And like some history of things. Sure. So the war begins. Once Madison declares it so, um, U.S. forces attack Canada pretty much right away. They deem Upper Canada, um, which is essentially Ontario right now. It's called Upper Canada at the time. There's a place I know. <laughs> they deem it to be the most vulnerable spot. The Atlantic provinces have the protection of the water and therefore the Navy. Thank God we're surrounded by water. And it's just the truth. Um, Quebec or lower Canada has a literal fortress. So like there's a fortress in Quebec. It's still there. Oh, 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 so oh, like, oh. okay, we cannot attack them. Sure. So like upper Canada was best. Ontario was the best strategic place to go. Yep. Um, they go in confidently, but Sir Isaac Brock, was in charge of the yeah. British command post. And Sir Isaac Brock's mother never raised no pussy. Sir Isaac, Brock, <laughs> Sir Isaac Brock had a defense ready to go. I bet he did. Sir Isaac Brock had 1,600 men. Mm. But Sir Isaac Brock didn't feel that was enough. No. At this point, the First Nations were still fairly neutral. Most favored the British slightly because they seemed to be the lesser of the two colonial evils. Sir Isaac Brock believed the First Nations saw a strong advance from the British. They would join them. Sir Isaac Brock sent order to a commanding officer on Lake Huron to capture a key American post at Michilimackinac Island. Good. Thank you. I nailed it, I think. On July 17th, the natives, wanting their homeland back, join in with the fight. There you go. 400 Dakota or Sioux, um, Menominee, Winnebago, Ozawa, and Ojibwa warriors all get involved. Um, as well as 200 voyageurs, which include Métis. I couldn't figure out what they were, like why they're called that and why they include Métis. Don't know. Leading the way for the First Nations groups is uh, Tecumseh, a noted Shawnee warrior chief. Again, he could be his own topic. He is like the Obi-Wan Kenobi of the story. He oh, yeah? Is, oh, he's so cool. Um, so, uh, he is a hell of a man. He essentially wants all Indian tribes to settle their differences. Like, let's get together and feel all right kind of vibes. And have an Indian state where white settlers just leave them alone. Like, that's okay. You have this huge lot of land, which is now like a state. And it's all yours. But in order to do that, all all the tribes would have to come together. Um, so with him and Sir Isaac Brock at the helm leading the charge, they capture the fort quickly without any bloodshed. Ooh. Zero. On August 16th, 1812, General William Hull of the American force crossed from Detroit into Canada. Brock quickly marches his growing army of men down there. Brock and Tecumseh go down there and literally chase the Americans back over the border. Amazing. Get, yep. Uh, well they, they get General Hull to surrender Detroit without firing a single shot. So they chase them back to where they came from and then get them to surrender without shooting anyone. 
<laughs> There's like, I'm going to come over to your yard. They're like, nope, I'm going to come over to your yard. Now your yard's mine. No. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, okay. Nail it. Sneaky. And now it's time for Canadian Heritage Minute. Ooh. Do you remember these? Yeah. Like, um. Canada. Canada. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Um, so they're quality. They're part of our heritage. And there are three related just to the War of 1812. Oh. I know. Probably seen them as a child. There was like, we were just like, oh, when's Inspector Gadget coming back on? Yeah. What's the next ep- exciting episode of Dragon Ball Z? Uh, so the first Heritage Minute tells the tale of the Battle of Queenstone Heights. Queenstone Heights was a key outpost in Canada, so it was very important to the British to protect it. But remember, the British sent like nobody over. Red True. Rover, Red Rover, send nobody over. Ugh. So for this battle, it was up to two Mohawk chiefs, John Norton and John Brandt, which are their anglicized names. And I'm going to try their other names, but okay. hold on there, Pontiac. Best of the Canadian luck. Tian in Hokorawen and Aeon Ways. Okay. Nail it. Along with, let me just keep saying nail it. No one knows. Along <laughs> with about 80 other indigenous warriors, they held back the American forces for hours. By the way, there were almost 1,000 Americans. There was 82 of them. Of course. They held them off until the Army of the Dead showed up, obviously. Mm. And they are yeah. born. Um, no, British reinforcements Will arrived. you fight for us? <laughs> uh, British reinforcements re- arrived, and they were able to retain the outpost. They held it off long enough. The reinforcements came, and they were like, yeah, nope. All good, guys. Got it. 82 of them. And everyone was like, yeah, no. You suck. We don't like you. Like, give them... Their due diligence. Mm-hmm. Sir Isaac Brock was part of the reinforcements. And unfortunately, Sir Isaac Brock was killed in the battle. Oh, I was just about to say, I like him more and more. And that was the last time I got to say Sir Isaac Brock. Until then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was another group of people involved that we've yet to talk about. And this brings us to our second Canadian Heritage Minute. Yes. Dum, dum, dum. I'm going to put a little sound effect in there, maybe. I think you should. The color. Don't write it, though. No, no, no. I'll steal it. Yeah. From the Heritage Minute. Yeah. Um, the Color Corps, a militia company of black men brought together together by Richard Pierpont. Pierpont. A black um, militia company from Canada in the 1800s. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Didn't know what happened. When he was 16, Pierpont was enslaved in Senegal and taken to America. He gained his freedom during the American Revolution and fought with the British. So when the Americans come knocking on the door again, threatening his freedom, he goes down to the outpost and he says, I want to sign up. Yeah. Did I mention he's almost 70? They're like, thanks, but no thanks. You're old. And we have plenty of men who are trained. Leave the Americans to us. And he says, and I am quoting from the Heritage Minute. This may not be exactly what he says, but this is a script writer for the Heritage Minute wrote this. He slowly leans down over the desk of the pompous British officer. And I'll do my best, um, Morgan Freeman, because he kind of does a seven-year-old, yeah. With respect, sir, I was born a free man, and I intend to die one. Your officers fight for land and money. I fight for my freedom. Yeah. Isn't that great? He petitioned for an all-black unit, and they were part of the reinforcements that showed up at Queenstone Heights. Oh, look at that. Isn't that wicked? Love it. Love it. After the war, the company was disbanded and faced discrimination in claiming their rewards. Oh. The land that were awarded was half the size of their white counterparts and of much poorer quality. Many couldn't even settle on the land that they were awarded. But despite that, the Color Corps defended Canada honorably and paved the way for future black battalions. There you go. Isn't that amazing? It's now 1813. 16 American ships land at York, the capital of Upper Canada, which is now Toronto. Toronto! Used to be called York. 
The Americans just start wreaking havoc, burning public buildings, seizing naval supplies. But the British throw a wrench in the Americans' plan when, rather than allow the Americans to take a half-completed warship they were working on, they burned it to the ground. Burn it down. <laughs> They're like, the Americans are coming. Burn everything. Everything. Yep. The Americans make the mistake of not pursuing the fleeing British. They give them time to recoup, prepare the defense for the next battle, and then the British win the next battle. <laughs> like They just kept chasing, and they were like, oh, help! Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, interesting fact. In Russia, yes. during World War I, yes. uh, and maybe even World War II, not yeah. sure, uh, if battles were ever on their soil, what... Uh, funny, not really a pun, but interesting choice of words. Um, what they would do is uh, they would flee, but when they would flee, they would burn everything. They'd burn all the houses, all the food, all the right. crops, so that the traveling army had to come right across Russia. Right. And they would starve to death, literally starve and freeze to death because they would travel across Russia to nothing. It'd right. all be barren, dead, burned. So they'd have no way to refuel. That's amazing. Yeah. A little bleak, but yeah, well, literally yeah. starve an RV. War by me. It's hard. It's very um, complicated. Yeah. Like the, the tactics. Um, mm-hmm. For our third Heritage Minute, Laura Secord. Laura Secord. What do you know about her? Yes, she makes a lovely milkshake. Uh, yes, chocolates. And I bought my, um, was it this year you and I went there and I bought my advent calendars there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know who she is or why we talk about her? No. Nothing to do with chocolate. Some guy was like, hey, no one ever talks about Laura Secord. I'm going to name my store after her. Literally nothing to do with chocolate. If you recall the Boston Tea Party and the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. I do right? remember. Listen, my children, and you shall hear the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. Yep. Um, so he's like, the, the British are coming. The British are coming. Ran on the horse. Yeah. Warned everybody. She is our Paul Revere. She's the Canadian Paul Revere. Oh, she isn't. Slightly more badass, mm-hmm. but that's her. So, quick backstory. Um, this all comes from the Canadian Encyclopedia, which as soon as I realized I was like, I never even look what website I'm on. I'm like, no. it doesn't matter. It's not going to be factual. Nope. Um, but as soon as I, was, I realized I was on the Canadian Encyclopedia, I was like, this is the first time Google has brought me here yep. in my life. And I loved it. I was like, it's not Wikipedia. It's not something.com. No. Nope. It's a classic old .ca. CA. Bottom is a little thing saying like supported by the government of canada yeah slash org i yeah <laughs> i loved it i was delighted by it so laura's dad was an american who sided with the patriots during the american revolution and moved his family back to niagara where he ran a tavern in queenston queenston, like queenston heights her Hodgson. husband james was a sergeant with the first lincoln militia he was wounded at the battle of queenston heights laura rescues him from the battlefield takes him home and begins to nurse him back to health in June of 1813, her husband is still recovering, and now Queenston has been overtaken by the Americans. And the Secords were forced to billet some American officers in their home. Because it's like, you guys can stay here, but Americans are going to live in your house because we're fighting a war. Right. Um, wouldn't have happened in Russia, because they would have burned it to the ground. Yep. Uh, Laura overhears that the Americans were planning to attack British forces at Beaver Dams. It's the name of a place. Of course. James was still too ill. So Laura gets her boots on and starts running. Running. She ran 30 kilometers. Well, I suppose she walked at some point. Nope. Um, she ran 30 kilometers from Queenston to Beaver Dams through incredibly difficult terrain since the whole way she had to avoid American sentries who were just like stationed everywhere. So it was like she couldn't go in a straight line. She was weaving in and out. Traffic. <laughs> Actually, the TCH was now yeah. drawn after her path. <laughs> uh, the next day, American troops are ambushed and persuaded to surrender. And that's why Laura Secord is a legend. Oh, my God. Yeah, they were going to attack and they were like, Laura ran there, told him. Seems like a worthy name for her for ice cream now. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like we should name something much more, I don't know, powerful. What do you mean? Like, let's name something else, Loris Accord. Oh, I oh, know. I see what you're saying. As opposed to just yeah. an ice cream parlor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the Gap. Let's call it Loris Accord. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's. Um, Northern Reflections, maybe. Laura. Laura Reflections. <laughs> Uh, so, beginning to retreat from the area, the Americans evacuate Fort George in December and burn the town of Newark, now Niagara-on-the-Lake, as they do, which starts this whole pattern of burning stuff, which does not end well for the Americans. No. Foreshadowing. Dum-dum-dum. In the West, though, the Americans are doing well. During a sea battle, Oliver Hazard Perry, his middle name is Hazard. I love it. Um, an American Commodore becomes the first man in history to capture an entire British fleet at the Battle of Putten Bay, taking Lake Erie for the Americans. I think it still is one the American Lake. Maybe. Yep. Um, anyway, that's a cool thing. At the it's battle, very cool thing. at the b- Battle of Thames, Tecumseh was killed. No. I think I've said it different every time. Yep. Which basically ends the alliance with the First Nations because they're mourning the loss of their leader. He was like the one who was uniting everybody. And when he was gone, everybody was like, we don't like you anyway. We don't want to reunite with you. So sad times. That's super unfortunate. The final advance into Canada came on the evening of July 25th, 1814, when the Americans attempted to take Niagara again during the Battle of Lundy's Lane. Lundy's Lane! It was the bloodliest battle of the whole war. And it was fought in the pitch dark. Blundy is Lundy is Lane. <laughs> had to go back. I did. Um, but how do they know it was the bloodies? It was pitch dark. Yeah. Who's, you know? Who's counting? They had a camera with a flash. Mm. Um, it ended in a stalemate. Uh, in the summer of 1814, the battle of Let's Light Stuff on Fire comes to a head when the British, in an effort to divert the American troops from Upper and Lower Canada, head for Washington. Mm. They're like... You're going to want to come back. Yeah. The British march into the capital, and it's basically deserted of troops because it's not even near the battle. They don't touch any private dwellings, but the White House, the Capitol building, and the Treasury building were all in flames before they left that day. <gasps> they caught the White House on fire. Did not know. Yep. Uh, after Apparently, um, I can't remember who was president at the time. Oh, Madison. So, like, James Madison's <laughs> wife, whose name I don't know, Sissy, we'll call her. Um, she was just running around like scooping up different like artifacts. And, like there were things that were saved because she was like, "We got to save these things." That is wild. Yeah. Um, after more battles and more tomfoolery, the largest effort by the British was the invasion of New York. Sir George Provost led eleven thousand veterans of the now mostly concluded Neapol- Neapolitan Napoleonic War <laughs> to Plattsburgh. So like they're back for more. Like, hey guys, gotta head over to Canada now. Yeah. Um, but Star spread. <laughs> <laughs> but we're leaving today. <laughs> but Prevost was hesitant to attack, and once the fleet in the bay were defeated by the Americans, he withdrew his troops on land. He wouldn't attack. He was like, "Okay, well, we lost on the water. Why? Let's just go home." He's like, "Screw it." Don't know. This decision, though, led to peace negotiations in Ghent. The Treaty of Ghent was signed on Christmas Eve, eighteen fourteen. That's nice. Well, my name is Francis Delaware. <laughs> um, it started that, or sorry, it stated that all land taken during the war was be to restored to their former owners. What a waste! And At any le- disputes over land boundaries were be to be done over joint commissions. So everything you did was a waste of time. Complete. You yeah. did not even walk away with Reset more land. Reset button. Yeah. Except for the twenty thousand people who were dead. Restart. Are you sure you will lose all of your progress? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
The geographical shape of Canada today is largely due to the negotiations that came out of the Treaty of Ghent in 1812. There we go. Because they talked about like the borders and like how they are going to divide Interesting. them. Um, so who won? Kind of no one. Kind of restart, yes. Canadians were propelled into their future nationhood, which is kind of a win. Mm-hmm. The British sort of just kept on keeping on. They're like, whatever, we don't really care. Nope. Napoleon's gone. Um, for the Americans, the issues of impressment of naval officers and maritime rights were not resolved. So mm. a bit of a loss. That was sort of what they went to war over and yeah. nothing came of it. They didn't did anything. That seems too bad. But some of their victories at sea were like uh, old Duke's Hazard. Oliver, um, were hugely indicative of the future potential power that they would have. Um, It was definitely a failure for the war hawks. The war proved it was not possible or feasible to take over Canada. So they were like, okay, well, we're never going to try that again. I mean, good. Yeah, Um, at least you're learning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The First Nations, after the death of Tecumseh, broke apart his dream of an Indian state and although First Nations did far better in preserving their land and culture in Canada than below the border, um, yeah, oh, Canada, the British essentially abandoned their native allies, not for the first time, not for the last time. No. And that, my friend, was the parts I deemed to be important from the War of 1812 to 14. To 14. Yeah. Uh, that's actually really interesting. Isn't it? It doesn't surprise me, though, that it stemmed from British and United States... Uh, disagreements. Yeah, I guess it just uh, where Canada, like you said, the first like the first sentence that since Canada was a um, colony, colony. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dominion. tensions were still high. It was thirty years later, but I think the British were like, "You used to be ours, yeah. right?" And now the American wanted more independence you from them. Used to be my. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Nailed it. See you on Broadway, <laughs> on oh. the Great White Way, or Letterkenny. Maybe. Who's the same? Um, now, you folks enjoy that break. You enjoy a well-needed break. Do you feel stuck in a rut? Feeling like nothing you do matters or makes a difference? Have you ever wanted to change the world? Well, now you can. By simply going to Apple Podcasts and doing a quick rate and review for Splainin', you can make two little boys' dreams come true and feel the absolute joy and elation that comes from a purely selfless act. By clicking five stars and writing that positive review, you're saying to the world, I don't care how bad these guys are, I'm a good person for helping these schmucks follow a pipe dream. So what are you waiting for? Go now. Ooh. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed that. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) I didn't think you were going there. No. Well, what? Me doing, ooh. Yeah, I just... It's just this is funny. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, I had a great piece of chocolate just then. It was delicious. Mm, real tasty. Uh-huh. Now my mouth is kind of like uh, peanut butter. Yes. I'm sure. sure Catherine didn't enjoy that noise. <laughs> <laughs> Nor the noise at the beginning of the after the break. No, no. Oh. No. No. I don't think any of us did, to be honest. Well, that's for someone else to say. <laughs> I take my leave. <laughs> <laughs> Email us at info.smiling.gmail.com. Yeah. No, I like snacks. Cool. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'm going to dive in now, buddy. Uh, please, please dive. And I shall. Head first. Would you like to um, put me in any sort of state before you begin? Ooh. Uh, Ooh. See, so we were just talking about the states. The yeah. United them. Mm-hmm. And now you're talking now about the state Now we're talking about being. the three states of matter. 
Liquid gas. <laughs> no, no, no. You just... <laughs> Are we? <laughs> no. How high am I? <laughs> More wavelengths. <laughs> uh, no. I could eat so many wavelengths right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like a wavy ruffle. <laughs> oh, don't even say it. I thought that's your mint. Like you need chips. You need so many wavy legs. Oh, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. better. It was better. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm doing hypnotism or hypnosis. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a super interesting uh, topic. And you know what? What? One that is different for me. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying it was just different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so hypnosis is a human condition involving focused attention, reduced peripheral awareness, and an enhanced capacity to respond to suggestion. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, peripheral awareness is literally just your peripheral vision? No, peripheral, like, it's the same idea, so the same root word, which is peripheral. Like, it's kind of like background or things oh. that are to the side. So, like, right now I'm focusing at you. Right. But in the same time, the computer screen is moving. My body is picking up that stimulus and responding to the stimulus right. even though you so are the focus. Your your mind is actually focusing on a single thing. Think of, like, background, foreground. Yeah. So, like, you right now are the foreground, like, literally, but also yeah. figuratively. Um, and the peripheral, or the background, is that computer. Right. So, uh, it is reduced peripheral awareness. Right. Which is, the op- which is you know, focusing yeah. on something. Yeah, you're more likely to do the single task the hypnotist is asking you to do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, whether you are a sleeper agent, someone going through hypnotherapy, watching a Las Vegas special, or simply a high school student attending an awkward assembly, <laughs> you have some experience or understanding of what hypnotism is. Every, like, well, I wonder the first high school that did that. But, like, every high school had that. They had a hypnotist come. <laughs> Who drew the dick on the bathroom wall? <laughs> Kids, get me a sem- Richard, we're going to need you to come in again. Yeah. Stare. <laughs> what am I going to do this time? Another dick on the wall? Oh, yeah. Dick's on the job. Because <laughs> <laughs> his one name was Richard. Is, yeah. I think I, I, but I didn't intentionally say <laughs> no. Richard for that reason. Uh, All right. I think we should end it here. I think this is this is good enough for me. Yeah. Cool. Um, so the if hypnotized individual will, will only listen to the communications of the hypnotist while ignoring all aspects of the environment other than those printed out by the hypnotist. Hmm. In a hypnotic state, an individual tends to see, feel, smell, and otherwise perceive in accordance with the hypnotist's suggestions, even though that these suggestions may not be real at all. Right. Uh, the effects of hypnosis are not limited to the sensory change. Even the subject's memory and awareness of self may be altered by suggestion. And the effects of the suggestions may be extended post-hypnotically. Ooh, really? Yeah. Into the person's waking activity. So when the high school guy comes in here, I might actually like mess up your future? Well, uh, let's not get carried away because he's asking you to like blink your eyes and lift your feet. Buck like a chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I guess technically, sort of like Inception, mm. you could probably, you tap into the subconscious. What's the movie where they hypnotize the babysitters? Oh, Baby Geniuses. Remember that? No. I do. I remember. No, that's Who's Talking. Who's yeah, talking not, not Look Who's Talking. Look Who's um, Talking, yeah. Uh, who's talking now is a sequel i think yeah, yeah. um no baby geniuses was like i remember i remember yeah. the movie i don't i don't right. remember that where they hypnotized right yeah the, they hypnotized the anyway that's great yeah. so there are two main theories about what being hypnotized actually means psychologically okay so there's the altered state theory 
mm-hmm. uh, which states that it actually leads to a distinct state of consciousness, which is similar to sleep. Okay. Like kind of like right in the middle of awake and asleep. Right. Like whenever Tiff falls asleep on the couch. Yes, exactly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just talk and make her say silly things. Yeah. Um, or if you wake up in the middle of the night, something startles you. And for the first 10 seconds, you're yep. just in the middle of both. Right. Right? Where you can perceive anything, any free, everything seems strange. If something startles me in the middle of the night, I'm not in between anything. Other than like me in the bedpost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't have, but. No. I was gonna... <laughs> that was the strangest part of that sentence yeah. was the fact that who you don't actually own bedposts. But no, but the funniest part of the sentence was when I said bedpost, I meant that, like that's what I was using as a weapon. But like, yeah. how did I remember? <laughs> There's a burglar at my door. See, and for like, the first 10 seconds, you're out the line. I gotta go get the Phillips head screwdriver and take the bedpost off. One second, be right with you. You hang tight now, Skipper. Yeah. I'll be with you in a moment. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so it's an actual, um, boop, 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 sorry, uh, it's similar to sleep. So hypnosis might be a distinct state in the brain where your mental processes work differently and you're not necessarily aware of what's happening as if you were to actually be awake. Sure. Okay. The second one is the non-state theory, right. uh, which states that hypnosis is more like role play. So instead of being a distinct state of mind, mm. uh, hypnosis might be a combination of intense focus... And certain expectations of what it means to be hypnotized. They're both kind of playing together. Okay. So basically, you're just playing along to the expectation of what it's but actually like. Are you to be aware hypnotized. you're playing along? Or just That's like- the thing, is that it's kind of, uh, well, it's like placebo. Right. Like, or like, I'm going to a hypnotizing show or a hypnotist show. Like, when you go there, this guy controls people. So it's your set expectation of what's going to happen. And that's right. kind of plays into what it is. It's about being. But um, I feel like I would just stand there and be like, I don't feel anything. Agreeable or susceptible, yeah, right? To suggestion. Um, it could be said that hypnotic suggestion is explicitly intended to make use of the placebo effect. Oh. So, for example, in 1994, Irving Kirsch ca- characterized uh, hypnos- hyp- hypnosis as a non-deceptive placebo, okay. i.e. a method that openly makes us uh, use of suggestion. Sorry, that openly makes use of suggestion. <laughs> this sentence is giving you a hard go. Oh, my God. This paragraph, it's killing me. <laughs> Sorry. He it's means it's all, a, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, a method that openly makes use of suggestion and employs methods to amplify its effects. Uh, um, can you repeat that for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> nope. A method. <laughs> yeah, no, moving on. Uh, but it works the same way. And do you know, you know what a placebo is and you know kind of how it works? Yes. So I don't need to explain that. The bigger you're drinking right now. Exactly. <laughs> it's a fake beer. Yeah, it's making me slur my words even though I'm not drunk. Um, a recent review published in the Journal of Neuroscience and Behavioral um, Reviews has defined hypnosis as a kind of top-down regulation of consciousness and awareness, a process in which mental representations override physiology perception and the behavior. Uh, pretty much, hypnosis involves two main elements. And it means it... it <laughs> Jeff, my, there's no alcohol in that There's not a zero percent. Hypnosis involves two main elements, induction and the suggestion. Okay. Uh, hypnotic induction is the first suggestion delivered during the process of hypnosis, though what it should normally consist of is really a matter of debate. Okay. Pretty well, it's putting the person into the trance. Right. Suggestions are typically expressed as things that could bring about seemingly involuntary responses from the participants, um, who do not believe 
who who do not believe that much um, actually cannot be hypnotized. They're not suggestible. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if I am. I've always wondered that too. Yeah. But I think the more, like, it's kind of like, if you have to say it, it means you're probably not. Any sort of skepticism or any sort of, like, rejection to the idea of being hypnotized, you're kind of like, no. I think you really have to just give yourself to it. Yeah. Like anything in life, really. <laughs> you really got to give 100%. <laughs> Go take what's yours. Yeah. Loris Accord. Yeah. Uh, the induction. <laughs> take what's yours, Loris Accord. The induction usually consists of the. <laughs> you, you, you still found that funny, did you? Yeah, take with your Lewis Accord and chocolate into candy. That's their theme song. We just wrote their theme song. Oh, take what's take yours, oh, Lewis Accord. No, no, exactly as we did before. Take what's yours, Lewis Accord, a chocolate little candy. <laughs> a chocolate little candy. <laughs> <laughs> just that we're gonna be rich yep yep so the induction usually consists of the hypnotist getting the person to slow down their breathing ah close their eyes or concentrate slowly on a singular item the classic stereotypical hanging stopwatch right or the swirly pattern right uh the hypnot- or my eyes Ooh. the hypnotist picks up on physical cues like breathing, rapid eye movement, pupil dilation, and also the willingness to accept some small adjustments. Uh, this is to determine when the subject has actually entered the trance-like state, okay. um, which is necessary for them to be susceptible to suggestion. From there, the hypnotist will test the subject with a smaller task. Once they have confirmed the subject is actually adherent to their request, then the fun begins. I feel like... It's an easy cop-out for hypnotists when they began, like, in whatever year. They all got together and like, okay, here's what we're going to do. If ever we're trying to hypnotize somebody and it doesn't work, we just say, oh, if you can't, it's not going to work for them ever. It's just not going to work. It's like, no, maybe you just can't do it at all. Ah. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's just like if, if a magician was like, so um, every time I do a trick that doesn't work, just, like, turn your head, though. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't do tricks in front of these kinds of people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess so. But it also, because if now when you talk about um, like people who do hypnosis, whether they're like like clinical people, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like like they say like, and even even a lot of magicians and people on stage who do it as acts will come out and be like, I cannot actually read minds. Yes. Like or or like yes. I this is not actually magic. Because yeah. it's almost more impressive the way they actually do things. I know. Right? Than being with That's what I love magic. on Penn and Teller when they usually show you one trick at the end of the show that they do. Uh-huh. They'll show you they'll do a trick and they'll show you how it's done. Yeah. Um so from there, the suggestions can range from physical tasks or lack thereof to therapeutic rewiring. Okay. The hypnotist intends to tap into the subconscious mind to manipulate and to create suggestions. Mm. Neuroimaging techniques have shown that highly suggestible people exhibit higher activity levels in the prefrontal cortex, anterior cingulate cortex, and the parietal networks of the brain during different phases of hypnosis. Okay. These are areas of the brain involved in a range of complex functions, including memory and perception, processing emotions, and task learning. 
However, the specific brain mechanisms evolved in hypnosis are still very unclear. Though scientists are beginning to piece them together, the neurocognitive profile of this process is still very unknown. Right. That's so interesting. Like, they can just, like, put the whatever on your head and see what part of your brain lights, lights up when up. they do certain things. Yeah. Because I was wondering, like, when you were saying, I was like, how do they know that, you know, that stuff is stored there and this goes there or whatever? It's like, because they just watch what lights up. Yep. Put it on the hat. Do an activity. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Uh, suggestion has sometimes been used to induce agnosia, which is a state wherein the brain can perceive but is unable to recognize various external stimuli. So similar to the split brain syndrome, when someone can like draw what they see, but they can't say it. Um, what? What? Yeah. So what have you, mean? so you know how someone has split brain syndrome? No, I've never oh, heard of it. Okay. So you have a left and a right hemisphere. Yeah. It is joined by gray matter, like as corpus callosum or something or something. Okay. I don't think that's what it is, but, and that's how there's a lot corpus of corpus Christi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a local church for anyone not from the area. (laughs) Everyone's from the area. (laughs) Um, Anytime you have a seizure, not anytime you have a seizure necessarily, but what a seizure is, uh, is rapid firing of communication between the left and right hemisphere of the brain. Okay. Uh, Different parts of the brain control different parts of the body. So on a blanket statement, your left side of the brain controls the right side, the right side of the brain controls the left side of the body. And also one is good for visual, your visual cortex, and the other one's for motor skills. Right. Uh, And your visual, your auditory cortex, sorry. Okay. So if you, and they do this experiment where they put a, a thing in the middle of someone's face so they can't see, their left eye can see one thing, yes. their right eye can see another. Yes. The way the experiment works is yeah. that they say, what do you see from your right eye? Okay. And they can say what they see. Right. But then they say, can you draw it, which is motor? And they say, no. Okay. But it's something simple like an apple or a smiley face. And then on the other side, they say, perfect. Can you tell me what you see? No, I can't tell you what I see. They just don't have the ability to. They're recognizing it. They're stimulus. They say, can you draw it? Yup. And they draw it. So each eye is connected to a different side of the brain? Exactly, because it's the left side of the body versus the right side of the body. That's messed up. Yeah. So it's called split brain. Uh, And they actually used to do it for people with severe, severe seizures because it would stop communication between the left and right hemisphere. Wow. And it would stop the rapid firing of neurons. Interesting. Yeah. How do you know these things? Because I'm very smart. <laughs> <laughs> no one's doubting that, Jeff. No, except no. for everybody listening. Um, so actually, because of... Th- should have said no one in this room is doubting it. There we go. Um, so one of their hypnotic tricks that they used to be able to do is to do that. It's to trick people to being able to not be able to do one or the other. Right. Um, so like, you know the classic, it's really hard. It's like a tongue twister kind of thing. You would They would print a word... That yeah. would be that would spell a color. Okay. But the font would be a different color. Yes. And they would right. try to get you to say the color of the font. Right. Oh man, that would be hard. So yeah. it's stuff like that, right? Yeah. Uh, so such effects have often made hypnosis a showbiz attraction, and kind of treated it as magic. Yeah. So with that, I said, what else is kind of like magic? <laughs> <laughs> Our <Yeah, chemistry>. wizard Harry. <laughs> Speaking of Hagrid, now that I brought that back. Um, mentalism. Yes. Really big and something that I find super interesting. So interesting. So when I saw Barbara Streisand, uh, how long ago was it? I don't know, four years or something mm-hmm. in Toronto. Um, her halftime like intermission guy 
was the top mentalist in Canada. Or maybe it was on top mentalist. No, he was British. Top mentalist in the world, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Um, he was insane. Like, some of the stuff he would do. Yeah. Like, and then he'd take the envelope out of his pocket that had the combination of the numbers written on it that the lady... Anyway, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know how it works. Not how it works, but, you know, how yeah. you've seen the things. Um, he was doing all that stuff, and I was, like, the first time watching it live, and I was like, I have no idea how yeah. that's possible. It's crazy. Yeah. So, with mentalism, you think, okay, what part of it is, you know, hypnotism and those kinds of things? Yeah. And then you're like, mm, is it staged? Do they have people yeah. in the audience? Power, like, power of suggestion. Yeah. So, there's yeah. lots of those things, and you're kind of going, what is it that's happening? And, like, right. I tried to look up how it happens. Yeah. But, A, it's so complicated and takes so much very um, specific kinds of training Yeah, um, that, like, you can't really get down to it. I bet you they're don't... very intelligent people. Incredibly. And they're very perceptive people. Yeah. And probably, you know, trying to keep the people like yourselves going, like, how do they do it? Like, yeah. Trying to keep that as under wraps as possible. Exactly. Um, but I did learn that... The you know how you'll always have like there's different types of communication so physical communication auditory yes. communication that body language takes up a certain percentage of that yeah and then then the tone of how you say something takes up a higher percentage right. and that the smallest means of communication they're the actual words you use interesting yeah um so they pick up on so many subtle cues that you are giving away just based on who you are and how you say things. I watched a video of the classic, you know, everybody in the audience write a question on a card. Right. Seal the envelope and then sign the card on the top with your initials. Yeah. And where you are roughly sitting in the house. Right. And he got like eight envelopes and he picked up the envelopes and the first one he looked at, he goes, "Mm, nope. Flicked it away. Full on. He was like, I can't pick up anything about this person. Flicked it away. From their initials and where they sat in the, in the, in the house. Wow. So, so then he looks at another one. He goes, okay, cool. I don't know. A-H. Yeah. Or J-H or whatever. So he goes, cool. J-H is in the middle. J-H, if you're in the middle, raise your hand, stand up. So this girl stands up. And well, actually, before he does, he goes, hmm, I think this this is a woman's writing. And the way that you can see the ups and downs in the word center, that's usually implies future. And uh, she's like, so it's a question. He was like, so it's a woman asking about a question about the future. Okay. And it's like, right in the middle, J.H., please stand up. She, he stood up. He's like, Jennifer? She's like, yes. He goes, hmm, it's always Jennifer. <laughs> he <laughs> like, it was like yeah. a little, you know, throwaway. Yeah. And then he's like, cool. So he's just t- talking to her. And I think they're instructed to give as little, like, dialogue as possible. So he's like, Jennifer? She goes, yes. So, okay, great. And he's like, so, um, he's like, this is your question. Yes. It's great. He's like, have you, he's like, is it a question about the future? And she giggles and she's like, she goes, yes. He goes, do that one more time. She's like, what? She's like, do that exact same thing one more time. She goes, yes. He goes, you're from Virginia. And she goes, I am from Virginia. Are you serious? Yes. He literally would stop them and be like, say that again. And did the exact same thing. He's like, you're from Virginia. He's just studied on everything. Like, just dialects, tongue, like, everything. Like, little cues. Like, Sherlock Holmes style. Like, yeah, I can yeah, tell yeah. from the way the bullet came out of that wall, it was yeah. from a German Westminster bullet and, you know. Yeah. Smart stuff. Yeah, smart things. So, and so what they're doing is they're asking questions and they're throwing things out and just gauging behavior based on the question. Right. Uh, another guy brought up a guy um, who, he was like, I'm going to guess the pin on your from your debit card 
Right. Right? So like, go change it tonight. Yeah. Well that's what he, he made the joke yeah. of like, you need to change this before, you know. Yeah. Anyways. Um but it's funny because it comes down to suggestibility. And the first thing you actually have to do is to convince the person that you have control over them. Yes. That is literally the first step, other right. than getting them into that little bit of a like relaxed trance like yeah. place. Once you know that they know that you're in charge, it's game over. You can do whatever you want. Right. Right. Um, so that's what he did. He got Buddy to close his eyes. Yeah. He actually took Buddy's wallet out of his pocket, like pickpocketed right. him, took out his ID, and he was like, mm, John, I feel like your middle name is Ralph. He's like, oh my God, yeah, it is. He's like, and you're born on July 8th. He goes, oh God, how do you know it? And like, put everyone was like playing yes. along. But once the guy believed, that right. then, then the rest just, was candy, yeah. right? Right. So they he went hand to hand to him like they yeah. both held palms, yeah. and what, let number by number, he was like, I bet the first number is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and he could feel the response that the person gave him when he got to the number, so subtle. Yeah. And he was like, okay, so it's six. He goes, yeah, it's six. Yeah, oh my god. He's like, now, what is the rule about the purple elephant? And everyone's like, if you don't, if you tell someone not to think about a purple elephant, all they think about is a purple elephant, right? Yeah. Um, so like, great. He was like, don't think about your second number. And then just <laughs> did the same thing. But he goes, ooh, excellent. And then he turned to the audience. He was like, whenever you tell somebody to never think of the second one, they always instinctively think of the third. He was like, your third number is zero. And the guy's like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it, though, is, is knowing those mind tricks and knowing how objectively right. the body will... Do you know ad- what my brain just did? What? Well, how a purple they- elephant? No. My brain went, well, how do you know what the finger zero was? Because it would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten fingers. He would just circle back. Well, yeah, but also like ten can't be a number in your code. No. That's what one, I meant. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that was really cool. And I watched um, another guy just hypnotize somebody. But then he explained how he hypnotized them. Right. Right. He started that induction trance. And then the second he was in that, he just made them think certain things. But and it was do based people, on language. Do the people have memory of being yeah. Hypnotized, hypnotized? Yeah. So there's two... Like, some people completely blank out and go, I have no idea what just happened. I was right. out for three hours. No, bye. Right. It's like, you, you may well have gone to sleep. Yeah. Um, some people have full memory and full understanding of what's happening, but their perception of time has completely changed. Oh. When Catherine got hypnotized, she said she felt like she was hypnotized for like 20 minutes. Right. Or no, for two hours, but right. she's hypnotized for 20 minutes. Right. And like, you don't think about in the moment of like, I guess it's like a dream. Like, you ever wake up and it's a dream and it seems so vivid and real, but you're like, that was a dream. Yes. I think it's that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. there just has to be a room full of people laughing at you to be like, nope, that was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so that was really cool. And I learned a lot, but unfortunately, I'm not able to share it with others. Right. Because uh, it's something that I think there's no magic behind it. There's no weird, re- real trance. It's just people being really good at picking up cues, being perceptive, knowing human psychology and neurology and how um, how the body will instinctively react in certain situations. I wonder how... Objectively. I wonder how near it is to like meditation per se. It is, yeah. Yeah, because like so many times people say like, you know, when they meditate, they can go to another plane or whatever, like people who are quite like yeah. yogis who are really into it. Yeah. Um, I guess it's like the ability for people to go there faster. Like when he gets you to close your eyes and take deep breaths. Yeah. Can you get to a meditative, can he talk you to a meditative stance pretty quick? 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Tiffany, someone can talk Tiffany to a meditative stance pretty quick because she meditates. Yeah. Right? Me, I don't meditate and I find it really difficult to turn off the brain. Yeah. So I don't think you get to talk me there. Yeah, I think I don't know. And that's the thing. That's the induction part. Yeah. And that's what's up for debate. And that's right. what really makes a good hypnotist is yeah. their ability to do that. But also... And the ability to read people and go like, you can, you can't. Yeah, or, or well, for a I mentalist think the, or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of... Uh, at the beginning of these classes, these therapy... Or therapy, geez. These uh, hypnosis assemblies. Yeah. They do an activity in the audience. Right. And the activity is usually like he does a very blanketed, vague hypnotizing... Yeah. And then he says, now try to raise your hand. Oh, right. And the people who can actually raise their hand, he goes, well, I can't hypnotize you, so I'm not going to bring you up here. I'm not right. going to embarrass myself. Right. So, like, they always do stuff like that. Right. Um, but, it's like I said, it's also about perception as well. And also, like, is there somebody who's like, I'm not going to raise my hand because I want him to pick me? Maybe. But you then know? they're the same person who would go up and also be yeah. hypnotized like, then. Yeah. But that plays into the second theory of hypnotism, yes. which is you take the assumption of what it is to be hypnotized right. and you play along, like a role play. But like, but like a, a, it's like a party high or like a third yeah, party yeah, high. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not actually high, but you're 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 grabbing on board, right? You know? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, but yeah, in in one where a gentleman is explaining what hypnotism is, he says it's just suggestibility. It's just right. a man's or a person's ability to look at another person and make them do things. Yeah. And within that trance. Yeah. Um, and he he quickly hypnotized a girl in like two seconds. Yeah. And she couldn't open her eyes and she couldn't lift her feet up off the ground and snapped her out of it. He's like, well, do you know what I did is when I was doing this and I put my finger there, it focused to her there. And then the words did this. And then he like was telling how he spoke her into it. Right. And then the other one with her feet into the ground, he was like, well, when you walk forward, your weight is on your left foot to like walk. And then your right foot's about to come up. But what I do is I get them to both sta- uh, shoulder width apart, yeah. but slide one foot forward as if you're taking a stride. He says, I then nudge on their back, which pushes their weight to their front foot. Yeah. Then all I have to do is to tell them their foot's stuck, but their weight's on it. So it seems hard to lift your foot up when your weight's on it. Right. Without falling. Do you right. know what I mean? Right. So like, oh, I see what so you're like saying. Little, yeah. little things like that, that. They didn't realize their weight had shifted, but he shifted it. Yeah. Right. And then it's actually more increasing, like, they feel the weight that he is describing physiologically, so it just right. plays into it. Right. So it's a little, it's suggestibility. Yeah. Right? And little little physical cues. and Yeah. Anyways, like I said, these are videos I watched and picked up, but I, I couldn't really turn into content. Yes. Um, hypnotherapy. Yes. Yeah. So uh, hypnosis opens a door between two parts of the brain. The neocortex and the limbic brain, or the limbic system. The neocortex is where all of your decision-making happens and how we reason through certain tasks. Hmm. Meanwhile, the limbic system works as a warehouse for all of your emotional memories. And you've got a lot. Our decision-making process has a very powerful emotional component. When any stimulus enters the brain, it tries to understand what it is based on previous experiences and emotions. When we have a negative experience, or positive, uh, the brain will associate that emotional response to the stimuli. And therefore, every subsequent stimuli will follow the same pathway and pattern through the brain and exhibit the same response, whether it's positive or negative. Right, so inside out. Inside out, right? Or like you get bit by a snake. Yeah. Now all snakes are bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hypnosis activates limbic brain where we store the process uh, and eat, sorry, the process of the emotional memory. Uh, it's often uncovering long forgotten memories. 
This activation enables the conscious part of our minds to temporarily override previously entranced, uh, entraced, sorry, patterns and emotional memories. Okay. Uh, this allows you to emerge with a new perspective on past experience and deeply rooted patterns of behavior. So by unwinding that pattern in the brain, you can kind of be like, hmm, that time you peed the bed in front of all your friends, that was a good thing. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, hypnosis. <laughs> <laughs> hypnosis has been used for uh, hypnotic regression, so therapeutic regression, um, which is a method that claims to uncover a person's repressed memories, right? Often of early abuse or trauma. Yeah. Uh, this has also been used with people who have suffered from physical trauma as well, leading to amnesia, hoping to bridge the broken gaps in the person's neural pathways. Right. It's also good to um, get people to remember specific things, mm-hmm. like outside of amnesia, just like right. just sitting down trying to recall certain items and recall certain things. Yeah. Um, there's remember we talked about him uh, on the UFO episode. Um, la 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 la. Uh, what's his name? The guy who they made disappear, basically. Yeah. Oh, I don't know his name. Oh God, I know it. Lars. Lars? No, I don't think it's Lars. Lazar. Oh, Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. Well done. (laughs) Woo. What was I saying? (laughs) You were saying... Lazar. Lars. Lars. Lazar. I thought you were saying his first name was Lars. I was like, no, he was American. He wasn't like a Russian. Um... Right, similar to this (laughs) guy. What was I saying? (laughs) Similar to this guy, he... um, after like 30 years of being told like no you're lying yeah. he wanted more specific details that his subconscious mind took in through the peripherals that mm-hmm. his conscious mind didn't take in like if you're walking down a hallway and you're just looking forward your periphery is still picking oh, up things right so he was hoping to tap into his subconscious right. through hypnosis to try to gain the information and relive those experiences and rebridge those things to be right. like, what did the side of my eye catch walking down the hall? Right, when he saw that alien being cut up on the table or yeah. whatever. Yeah, there's that, but also just like normal day-to-day. Like yeah. you're going to the lunchroom, you don't notice what's, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, anyways, it worked a little bit. He regained some like very important things or continued to make them up. Cool. Yeah. Go on then, Bob. Yeah. Uh, so surprisingly enough, specialists will use hypnotherapy for things other than uh, psychological problems. Okay. Because the brain has control over the body, uh, subconsciously and consciously, uh, we would be surprised what hypnosis can actually subconsciously resolve. Can't? Can. Oh. Uh, people have used it to address, but not necessarily cure, things like IBS, insomnia, major sleep disorders, migraines, clinical pain control, and help with birthing pain. Really? It is also used to address psychological or mental disorders like depression, bipolar, um, eating disorders, and also uh, attempt to eliminate bad habits like smoking and drinking. I've heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a lot of people, a lot of actual medical practitioners will actually use hypnosis on certain clients. Interesting. They'll certainly try it. Um, so we talked about mentalism a little bit. Um, so that was one thing that really dragged us here. But another thing that dragged us here were double agents, spies, yes, and sleeper agents. Right. So I thought that was super cool. I was like, man, we love talking about like the Cold War, you yes. know, 1950s, 1980s American history. Like, there's a lot of hanky panky 
It's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. And what? especially their uh, relationship with Russia and yes. all the spies. And because we talked about that as well. And what are they called? Um, what? Uh, there's a thing in this in the movie. Remember the movie with that weird like lizard man, mm-hmm. the shape of water, whatever it was called. Was it that movie? And Buddy was working in that lab or something. I mean Jeff Goldblum. Was he in that movie? Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. No, I don't know. Anyway, go on. I don't know. Anyways, so I tried to do a deep dive okay. into what I thought sleeper agents were based okay. on famous movies like Manchurian Candidate. Right. Uh, both of them. Right. Um, uh, what was the other one? Not The Sum of All Fears. There's another one that did the exact same thing, which in our eyes when we first discussed the topic would be um, people who were under hypnosis. Like permanently until they heard a trigger word. Until they heard a trigger word. Right. So they just went about their normal life. That's yeah. who they were. But the second they heard a trigger word, they right. went into a trance yeah. and would go like kill the president. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like the plot of a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like a good Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or like a Gerard Butler. Yeah. Yeah. There is another one other than Manchurian Candy. That's, oh, that's definitely the prime is. example, but yeah. yes. Um, so I went looking for it. And a sleeper agent is actually a spy who is placed in a target country or organization not to undertake an immediate mission, but to act as a potential asset if activated. Yes. So even if unactivated, the sleeper agent is still an asset and is still playing an active role in sedition, treason, and espionage by virtue of agreeing to act if activated. Right. Sleeper agents are popular plot devices in fiction, particularly in espionage fiction and science fiction. Uh, This common use in fiction is directly related to and results from repeated instances of real life sleeper agents participating in spying, espionage, uh, sedition, treason, and assassination. Hmm. In a sense, the best sleeper agents are those who do not need to be paid by the sponsor, as they are able to earn enough money to finance themselves. This avoids. <laughs> sure. It sounds silly, yeah. but this avoids any possible traceable amounts coming from abroad. Yeah. In such cases, it is possible that the sleeper agent might be successful enough to become what is sometimes termed as an agent of influence. Sleeper agents who have been discovered have often been natives of the target country who moved elsewhere in early life and were co-opted um, into, or perhaps ideologically or ethnic, for ethnic reasons, um, before returning to the target country. This is valuable to the sponsor as the sleeper's language and other skills can actually be those of a native tongue and thus less likely to trigger suspicion. Mm-hmm. So choosing and inserting sleeper agents has often posed difficulties as it is uncertain which target will be appropriate some years in the future. If the sponsor government or its policies change after the sleeper has been inserted, the sleeper might be found to have been plant- planted in the wrong target. Right. Um. So that was just the general thing that I read up. And I said, that's really cool. So like, but so was, they're not hypnotized is what you're saying. They're not hypnotized at all. Only in fiction. Yep. Yeah, okay. That they are literally just people that were like, hey, buddy, you're real good, but you're on the bench. Yeah. That you just go over there. And if at any point you can be activated, so they can yeah. go tens of years without yeah. ever being touching or being communicated from wherever they're supposed to go. Yeah. The idea of being like a hypnotized triggered like sleeper agent like that kind of thing is uh is is purely fictional as of now 
Um, they said, I listened to a couple of things and read a couple of things, and each person was like, there were talks of the U.S. trying to create these sleepers in the Cold War, right. and Russia did it as well, but no actual like evidence. Okay. Yeah. Um, that being said, I did read some ridiculous Reddit comments. I bet you did. Yeah, some guy wrote, he was like, this is why I think I'm a sleeper agent. <laughs> and I was what? like, yep. this is why I think I am? Yep. He's like, he was explaining his life story and all of his troubles that he had and how he had no money. And then one day he got kicked out of his house, or he got robbed, and he had his rent money when he got robbed. Uh, they took his money, and then he was homeless. But he specifically noted that he was a heavy methamphetamine user and loved smoking. Right. So the next paragraph was, and then I disappeared for six months. He was like, no one heard from me. My family didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I am. It's like I fell asleep and woke up six months later in a completely different state. And then he was like, and then he went to join the military. And when he joined the military, like he knew combat right. that he never thought he should know. And then, like, what the 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 leader or the his I guess um, leaders I guess in the military, commanders and stuff, uh, always like sensed something off about him right and like wouldn't promote him or wouldn't put him in places where he would have specific information right and like he picked up on that and so he was like this is why i think i'm a sleeper agent and i'm really worried like what if i get activated one day like i'm afraid to start a family oh and i'm like dude get bent yes seriously so much methamphetamine so um have you seen have you watched the uh jessica beale show on netflix her show? Yeah, the no. something. Well, she's just like the lead actor in it. Yeah, yeah. In one season one, she is. She's done in season two. Yeah. Um, what is it called? The The Sinner. Okay. Um they do hypnotherapy on her, and essentially, like what you described, she had a period of like two months where she couldn't remember anything. Yeah. Um just yeah. try to bridge bridge those gaps. She tried to bridge those gaps. She wasn't she wasn't a sleeper agent. Um no. but she had um repressed memories yeah. yeah and so i think that's really cool i think there's something uh physiological and neural about that and yeah. in that trans like state uh but the, a lot of the stuff that you see in those vegas shows are deception perception and people are really good at what they do yeah got to say yeah. uh but yeah that's hypnosis for you buddy cool yeah i would like to be hypnotized yeah and also i wanted like be at another mentalist show because I thought it was so great. I, oh, yeah. I Those be, things are so cool. Yeah. Remember when we used to watch Penn and Teller? Penn and Teller. So good. So good. Are there new more seasons we can watch, I wonder? Of Penn and Teller? Yeah. I'm sure it's probably continue. not on Netflix. No, not on Netflix. No. I used to, um, it was back in the days when I used to like search it online on Google. Yeah. There was a, um, like if you go on YouTube, there was a plethora of mentalists and. Um, yeah, maybe I'll get onto that. That's a great rabbit hole. That's how I'll spend my night. Oh, in bed just watching Mentalists. Yeah. Oh, let's do it but FaceTime each other. <laughs> <laughs> I got a king size. May as well climb on yeah, in. Have on in. Jeff. Funny. Um, so there we go. Episode yeah. five. Episode five. It was a great one. It's a great one. It's a lot of fun. 
Um, if you want to just hop on that old Apple podcast and write a little five-star, little rate and review, we always appreciate it as you know it. Yep. You did hear it first. You did hear You heard it here first, folks. Um, as well, um, Spotify, they, they don't have anything that you can do. With I don't anything. think so. Um, testimonials on Facebook. We love a testimonial. Yeah. Just tell people what you think. Wear and your shirt if you have a wear shirt. Your shirt. We uh, we 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 finished our sale to a uh, couple of days ago because yep. this is now a couple of days after. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. That's how time works. <laughs> and uh, like sold out of shirts, like did really well. They were they were blue blue out blue out. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Blue out. Um, so wear your shirt. Post your shirt. it. Tell Tag a us. friend. Yes. About. Explaining Marigold texted me today to tell me she told her entire university class. She's like, I was like, how? She's like, it came up organically. Organic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So anyway, she was talking about how they just learned about. Um, she learned about the cloud. Yeah, how that worked, and uh, they were like, "Ooh, a podcast." So hopefully, we've got. Hey there, Marigold's class. We're talking yeah, to you guys. Talking to you guys. Um, so yeah, do that. Let us know. Do it. Yeah, uh, make sure while you're on that train to uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, like, share, comment. Uh, let us know what you like and uh, don't let us know what you don't like. Info.splainit at gmail.com. Send mm-hmm. in those topics. We love them. We love you. We hope you had fun this week. Yeah. So we hope you learned something this no, week. No, for God's sake. Evan, sakes. I knew that's what you are trying. I'm not supposed to say that. Then don't ever then say it. Then let's go back. Okay. okay. Uh, so Im- email us at info I mean, we didn't have to go back that far. At gmail. Much. Well, just in case, okay. you know, at gmail.com. <laughs> we hope you learned something this you week. You just wait so long. <laughs> That's why. What? Like, I really thought you were going to make me say it again. No. Like, you really take a... Yes, it's you- the conclusion of the episode. I yeah. want it to feel like everyone together takes a collective breath. Oh, very zen. <laughs> we hope you learned something this week. And if you didn't, there's always next week. (laughs) I was trying to make a pun out of Letterkenny, and I was trying to think of the producers of Letterkenny, and like I really want to get on there, and the producers, if they were like a Newfoundlander, Mm. they were like, he's just asking on his podcast. I suppose he gets in a letter, Kenny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I suppose he said the letter, Kenny.